first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. For those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And this is the second death. Moving to John 14, verses 1 through 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. You know that the way, the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Thank you, Liam. Good morning. I'm Sam, one of the team here, and it's great to see you all. Popular references to heaven are all around us. I wonder what songs, what lyrics, taglines, slogans come to mind. As I think about song lyrics and heaven, this really random song from my early teenage years comes back into my head. And it was called, the song was, Heaven is a Halfpipe. And the, the opening lyrics were, if I die before I wake, at least in heaven I can skate. Or I wonder if you recognize these lyrics. One step closer to heaven, baby, is one step closer to you. There'll be no more living without you, baby. I'm counting each minute till I'm back to you. Anyone, anyone recognize that that was S Club Juniors uh, around the turn of the millennium? But there's Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven, Gareth Gates' Spirit in the Sky. Maybe you like Meatloaf with his references to paradise uh, and heaven can wait. 
Or if you've um, watched Netflix more recently, there's uh, The Good Place, all about um, the adventures in the afterlife. These sort of references kind of abound in popular culture. And this morning we're going to be thinking a bit about what the Bible has to say, um, what, the, what the good news is for us as Christians. The question is, what will heaven be like and will I be there? And there is good news. But first, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you lift our heads and would you open our eyes to your glorious, gracious plan of salvation for us and for all of creation? Amen. So we can say with confidence on the basis of Scripture, Jesus' teaching, that heaven is for real. The sort of biblical picture is that earth is our realm and heaven is God's realm. Jesus tells us to pray to our Father who is in heaven. And that's where Jesus is. That's where we're told that he has gone to sit at the Father's right hand in heaven until he returns. And as Christians, we can look forward to being with him. But although we, we use the word heaven, we talk about heaven quite a lot, the, the thrust of the biblical hope, the biblical narrative, is not so much uh, towards sort of leaving earth and, and being in heaven. It's to being in the new creation, as we read about in, uh, in Revelation, where earth and heaven will be made new and the two will, will sort of come together in a beautiful new way. But I might use heaven and the new creation sort of a little, little interchangeably. So we're going to look at what will heaven be like and then will I be there? And the first thing that we see when we think about heaven and what it'll be like uh, is good news that heaven will be more amazing than we can comprehend. It really will be heavenly in the best sense of the word, divine, perfect, beyond our imagination. But it's hard for us to get our heads around because we're so used to this world, this life. It's all we've known. The constraints of time, our limited energy, um, human mortality, the presence of sin. But the Bible uses imagery to kind of whet our appetite, to get our imaginations going. The thief on the cross is promised by Jesus, today you'll be with me in paradise. But what will this paradise be like? What's so amazing about heaven? Well, everything will be made new. There'll no longer be any brokenness. We'll no longer mess up and break things and hurt people. The imagery we're given in Revelation 21 is that of there being no more death or mourning or crying or pain, that God himself will wipe our tears away. Tim Keller, quoting Jonathan Edwards, speaks of the promise of heaven in, in this way, that our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never really be lost. And the best things are yet to come. I love that. Our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never really be lost. 
and the best things are yet to come. In heaven, in the new creation, our desires will be rightly ordered. There'll be no more sin and no more desire to sin. The good work that has begun in us will be brought to completion. And it'll be wonderful that we'll no longer need to exercise faith. We'll be faced with God himself. We'll be in his presence and we'll no longer be sort of having to tread water in the depths, but we'll be able to stand in the shallows and enjoy his presence. C.S. Lewis sort of talks about our, our limited imagination in this way. He said, it would seem... Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Heaven will be beyond our imagination. The Lord has unspeakably good things, for those who overcome. Maybe you've been to the O2 arena or to a stadium like Wembley, Twickenham or the Olympic Stadium and been part of a crowd, 20,000, 60,000, 90,000 watching a World Cup or Olympic final, a crowd united in its passion, decision, its decision to be there and all cost of the journey, the ticket, all cost forgotten. Thousands holding their breath in suspense, weeping, clapping for all their worth with that unhindered childlike joy. We're invited to engage our imagination, to meditate on heaven, to read what the Bible has to say, to pray, and to spend time with the Lord meditating, contemplating heaven. Apparently the theologian Jim Packer embraced the discipline of, of doing so for 30 minutes a day. Sounds like quite a lot of time. But that was his discipline. And, uh, and he said that it, he found it easier as, uh, as time went on. So let's use our imaginations. Let's contemplate. Heavens, let's lift our eyes beyond this life. Um, lift it to to the new creation, to eternal life and the good things in store for us. And while heaven will be more amazing than we can imagine, the second thing we see is that heaven is more normal than we'd have thought. I think it can feel quite alienating if we sort of dwell on just how, how different, how other mysterious, wonderful uh, heaven will be. But the Bible uses some pretty down-to-earth images in its teaching. Jesus, as we heard, reassured the disciples that his father's house had many rooms, has many rooms. It's a picture that's beautiful in its simplicity, in its sort of everyday language, a bedroom prepared for us, profoundly encouraging and inviting and warm and generous and when Jesus rose again, we get a glimpse of the new creation in his resurrection body, the first fruits. And we see both 
continuity with, with this life and discontinuity difference. We see that he could eat. He sat down and ate and shared a barbecue on the beach with his friends. He could eat, but he could also enter locked rooms. We see that he was recognizable. So in some way, similar to who he'd been, what he'd looked like before the crucifixion. And yet not immediately recognizable every time. There was a sense of him sort of revealing himself and the disciples taking a while to clock on. Heaven would be more normal than we'd have thought. And I think sometimes that normality is, is encouraging, the down-to-earth nature of what Jesus has to say. I wonder if you've ever sort of dreamed of meeting a celebrity and, and then you've met them and you found that actually they're not as other, they're not as aloof, they're not as different as you thought. There's something encouraging about just discovering they're, they're like us. They eat, they sleep, they, um, they need somewhere to stay. Um, when I was um, here a few years ago, one of the friends I was living with um, had a friend, Rue Paines, who is a, an artist that you might have come across. I hadn't heard of this guy, Rue, um, but he was a friend of this other guy from home. And he's like, oh, Sam, my friend's you know, doing a concert in London, needs somewhere to stay. You know, can we lend him our sofa? And uh, you know, I met, met this guy, and he was just like anyone else, just really laid back, down to earth. Um, there's a, a normality that's sort of encouraging. It's not completely, heaven isn't completely other or different. And Paul, when he's um, in 1 Corinthians 15 talking all about the resurrection of Christ and our resurrection bodies, he finishes with these words. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So having meditated on the, the differences of the, the resurrection body and all we look forward to, the victory that we have in Christ, for Paul the upshot is that we stand firm now. We don't let anything move us. We don't drift away. We don't go soft, but we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in him is not wasted. And the third thing I want us to see is that heaven will be more relational than we would have dared to imagine. There's a lot that we don't know and can't say for sure about heaven, but we can say that it is entirely relational. It's not an individually defined utopia. It's not all about self-pleasure, self-fulfillment. It's not about individually living our best lives. Heaven is relational, wonderfully so. It's not about escaping this dark, murky world and the evil of the flesh. It's about a life lived 
in Christ, in a redeemed flesh and restored creation. Supposedly, Christopher McCandless penned these words. Um, I came across them in the film, Into the Wild. You might have watched the film, read the book. He said, happiness is only real when shared. And he wrote those words, I believe, in the Alaskan wilderness, alone. And they stuck with me, those words, I think, because there's truth to them. Happiness is only real when shared. Relationship is everything. And not necessarily romantic relationship, but friendship, fellowship. Relationship is everything. And heaven will be more relational than we dared to imagine. In Luke 23, the thief on the cross is reassured. But does Jesus reassure him that he'll be in paradise No, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. In John 14, there isn't a bland promise of heaven with loads of space and that these disciples will one day find themselves there. No, it's entirely relational. My father's house, it's not a a premier inn or a tablock on the outskirts. Jesus' father's very own house has many rooms And Jesus promises to go prepare rooms for us and to come and bring us back with him. Revelation's full of this sort of, um, this imagery. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. We, the church, a people beyond number from every tribe, nation and tongue, will be prepared, dressed, made up, ready as a bride for her husband. Both marriage and singleness in this life will be swept up in that one great marriage of the church to Jesus. The temple was God's unique dwelling place on earth. In the Old Testament, one person, once a year, the high priest, was allowed into the holy of holies. And the New Testament now, the New Testament church, is now that temple, the place where God dwells in this, in this world by his spirit. But in the new creation, God will fully and finally dwell unimpeded among us and we with him. He will be our light. We'll see his face. The whole Bible narrative is about relationship. Created, broken, redeemed, restored. From a garden where God dwelt perfectly with man to a garden city where God will dwell with his people. Now, I don't know exactly what that'll look like or how we'll respond. Revelation gives us pictures of the multitudes around the throne worshipping. But there's other language too of serving God, of reigning with him. There are sort of parables where we're told there'll be responsibility for cities in heaven in the new creation. So 
that will all be that will be worship. But there may well be song worship, and there may well be lots of it. And for some people, that's a bit of a sticking point. That sounds a bit boring, a bit mundane. But I just want to um, I just want us to think about it for a moment. Have you ever been stirred to praise something instinctively, like a reflex? Say you finish a hike uh, up, a, up a climb, a hill, and at last you turn around and survey the view, and you can't help but exclaim, wow. And as you enjoy the view, you know that it was worth the climb. Or you hear your favorite piece of music performed at the Royal Albert Hall, and as the conductor lowers his baton, you can't help but stand to your feet in applause. Our worship in the new creation will be instinctive and right and wonderful as we're faced with beauty and goodness, truth and grace, life himself. It'll be our joy to declare his splendor and to sing his glory. A.W. Tozer, the American author and pastor, put it somewhat provocatively like this. I can safely say on the authority of all that's revealed in the word of God, that any man or woman on this earth who's bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. Heaven will be more relational than we dared imagine. And that is wonderful news. I don't know about you, but personally, woods in the dark are one of my all-time scariest places. The way the shadows jump and dance as you shine your torch around. And I wonder if it all stems back to watching Beauty and the Beast when I was younger. And there's this horrific scene that I revisited this week to, to check its details and had goosebumps just, just watching it. Where Belle enters the woods on her horse alone. And it's scary enough, the snow's falling and then the wolves creep out from behind the trees. And the chase ensues. It's dark, it's night, it's scary. There are places we might think are fine during the day, but we'd stay well away from at night. But no more in heaven. In the new creation, there'll be no night. The Lord will be with us. We'll no longer need to fear what lurks in the shadows. So will we be there? What will heaven be like? More amazing than we can comprehend, more normal than we'd have thought, and more relational than we'd have dared imagine. Will I be there? Yes, absolutely. You'll be there if you have called on the name of the Lord, if you've asked him to save you, if you know him and love him and trust him. The entry point of heaven is trusting Jesus to be with you through life, through death, and forever. Take that thief on the cross again. How did he gain entry to paradise? With a simple last minute request, a prayer, if you will. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But there's language too of, uh, of overcoming. And Revelation uses language of those who are victorious. There is 
work to be done. This life will have challenges, but Jesus says, don't worry, take heart, I've overcome the world. We're told salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus offers us this wonderful invitation, the huge privilege of being with him forever. He's knocking on the door of our hearts. Will we let him in? Asking, will I be there, is a good place to start. It suggests that we're not just assuming that we'll be there. We're not just trusting our own goodness, our own merits, our own capacity. Will I be there allows God to answer, allows God to speak and to work. And the answer is no. Not on our terms, not by our merits, but a resounding yes in Jesus. Because of what he's done, because of his merits, because of his great love for us and his death on our behalf. So will I be there? It's a great question to ask, but it's a terrible place to stay because we're offered full assurance. We don't need to worry. We don't need to go around in circles. Jesus assures us that we'll be there with him if we want to be. And then he asks us to crack on. He says there's work for us to do as we embrace, as we inhabit his kingdom of heaven here on earth. As we're filled with and empowered by his spirit, we can live with his joy and work for him now. So heaven will be more amazing than we can comprehend, more normal than we'd have thought, more relational than we'd have dared imagine. And yes, absolutely, we'll be there if we've cried out to the Lord for his salvation. So where are you at with God? Let this morning be the morning to move on from will I be there to yes, thank you Jesus, I will be there with you. In him we're already new creations and we can embrace that new creation even amidst the brokenness of this world. Let's pray.